A flood of generosity began on the day of Pentecost. So from the very beginning of this thing called church, there was this extravagant generosity that, that really flows out of the generosity of Jesus. We should recognize Jesus was poor. Economically, he was poor. The reason God did that, I mean, God, God had him born in a manger, I mean, like the lowest, poorest place he could be, so that, that he could start at the very bottom and relate to everybody. Jesus never accumulated wealth. He never owned a home. He never had a bank account, never had a savings account. I mean, he was poor. But he trusted God, and God his Father took care of him in every way. And then he gave it on and gave his life. I mean, you can't give any more than give your life. So, I mean, he, that's where generosity kicks in. But then we begin to see that out of that generosity of, of Jesus, this community begins to be born, and they begin to practice this extravagant generosity. And, so, and they celebrated generosity because God had been generous to them. They are now celebrating generosity. So that's where we want to go this morning in Acts chapter 2. Verse 43 to 47, you're welcome to open your Bible and follow along as I read, or you can follow along on the screen if you'd like to stand and let me read. Everyone around was in awe, all those wonders and signs done through the apostles, and all the believers lived in a wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. They sold whatever they owned and pooled their resources so that each person's need was met. They followed the daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home, every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. People in general liked what they saw. Every day their number grew as God added those who were saved. Please have a seat. A friend, Tom, writes about the gospel of the kingdom. Where the church today finds itself stagnant, unattractive, humdrum, and shrinking, and sadly, there are many churches, in the Western world at least, of which that has to be admitted. It's time to read Acts 2. 42, we started at 43, we looked at 42 last week. 42 to 47, we're still in the paragraph. Read Acts 2, 42 to 47 again. Get down on our knees and ask, what isn't happening that should be happening? The gospel hasn't changed. God's power hasn't diminished. People still need rescuing. What are we doing about it? Well, the community in Jerusalem after the day of Pentecost is very active. And this paragraph we read, they're active doing several things. Together, it's a community of 3,120, and then each day God adds to that number. So I don't know, I mean, I don't know how many God added each day, and the Bible does not tell us that, but we know 3,120, 3,000 responded to the invitation to change the way they viewed Jesus on the day of Pentecost, and they joined the, uh, the initial 120 people. So now you have 3,120 Jews who are following Jesus. God's adding to their number, and every day together, 3,120 plus people showed up at the temple. 
the temple mound in Jerusalem for the daily discipline of worship. So in some ways, changing their mind about who Jesus was resulted in people being even more devout in their coming to the temple to worship God. And I don't even know what, what was that like. I mean, I've, I've stood on the seven steps, which is where you entered the, the temple. And you know, I've looked at these arches. They went up there and they were up there. Uh, but I, I can't even imagine. I mean, one, 3,120 people on the Temple Mount, that would have made a difference in the courtyards that you could go to. But now you have these people who are following Jesus, showing up every day together to worship God. That's just fascinating. And then somehow they figured out, after they had this daily discipline of worshiping God, that they would go to their house and their house and their house and their house. Somehow, 3,120 people went into homes all over Jerusalem and shared meals together. They broke bread together. And as they sat around those, those tables and shared those meals, there was laughter, there was joy. They're sharing in something that is, is just wonderful. And together, they begin to receive their equal share of food. Which, which seems to be that they were not only serving each other meals, but then they were also making sure that there was enough food for everybody so that there was this distribution. And that distribution seemed to be not just with those that are following Jesus, but also with other people, like neighbors of those where people came in, hey, would you like some food too? See, they were held in favor by everybody, not just those following Jesus. So something's happening in this generosity of of now giving and making sure everybody's needs are met. And so it says that their hearts were full of joy and their hearts were full of simplicity. So what they were doing, worshiping God, eating together in homes, distributing food and caring for one another and their neighbors... There was something that was, there was, it was infectious. It was joyous. There was exaltation and it was simple. And I would contrast that simplicity to what worship was like at that temple because it wasn't simple at that temple. There was rules on access to that temple. There was rules about what kind of sacrifice you needed to come bring to it. There was rules about what you needed to do and preparation. There was rules about who was in charge and there was political intrigue and all that. That was complex. But now there's these people discovering, oh wow, I didn't realize that knowing God, following God, being in community could be so simple. And in all of that, now they're praising God. Not praising an institution, Not praising a religion, praising God. And as that community is in action, they're enjoying. They're enjoying the favor of their unbelieving neighbors. People in general, believer or unbeliever, people in that group, people not in that group, in general, they liked what they saw. And it, again, just the church was visible. People saw what a community of people following Jesus looked like. 
People saw how they treated each other. People saw how they worshiped God. And they're engaged with others. They're engaged at the temple. They're going, they're going back to where they worshiped before, but now, but now they're going with a different perspective on who Jesus is. And they're engaging with those that are worshiping but not knowing Jesus at the temple. And then they're going back into their neighborhoods to have meals. They're engaged with their, their neighbors. That's, that's why people in general liked what they saw. And then the favor of God. God added to their number on a daily basis. Their unbelieving neighbors were changing their mind about Jesus. Remember last week, that the point of this was not convert from Judaism to another religion because there's not another religion. The point is change your mind about Jesus. So you have a, a city, by and large, that came to believe that Jesus was a criminal that Jesus was a religious heretic, that Jesus died on that cross. And then when Peter is empowered by the Holy Spirit, on the day of Pentecost, he preaches something quite different. Jesus is not a criminal. Jesus is not a religious heretic. Jesus did not die. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the King. And Jesus is alive. And the crowd listening to Peter on that day, they were cut to the quick. That means that, that the words empowered by the Holy Spirit cut into their conscience and they said, wow, we made a huge mistake. We need to change the way we've been thinking about Jesus. And that continues to happen. People changing their mind about Jesus. People believing He is the Lord. He is the promised king. The kingdom has come, and he is alive. Now, as you, you look at that activity, there are some forces at work that bring that community into action. And, and those, I think, are the things that are most intriguing about what's going on in this passage. One force, well, undeniable, what's happening to people in Jerusalem, as we read it, would never have happened if there was not an outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. What Peter describes at Pentecost is that it was necessary for Jesus to ascend, for Jesus to be at the right hand of the Father, and Jesus sent the Spirit. And the Spirit of God, as Joel prophesied, was poured out on all flesh. That's what was happening at Pentecost. So Jesus says to the Holy Spirit, Go, pour out power, pour out conviction, pour out love on, on all flesh so that I will be made known for who I am. That power outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that's a force behind what moves this community to do what it's doing. It's also a community that is shaped by the signs and the wonders being done by the apostles. But I think it's really important to emphasize those signs and wonders are signs and wonders of the kingdom. I'd encourage you to back up and read what Joel wrote. In the last days. That, see, that's last days. Catch that? In the last days. 
And he goes down and he describes that the Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. The Spirit will be poured out on men and women, your sons and your daughters. People will begin to have visions. They'll begin to hear God. They'll begin to proclaim what God is revealing and, and saying. And there'll be signs on the earth below and wonders in the heavens above. And the, the sun will turn blood red. And you're going, woo, that sounds like something big is happening. They're portents. I love that word, don't you? Portents of the changing of the age. And so what the prophets of the Old Testament and what Jewish theology was looking for was the day of God's return. God will return. God will set everything right on this planet. This is the day. And so the signs and the wonders are revealing the rule of God, the kingdom of God. It's come. God's moving in, and it's preceding the great and awesome day of the Lord. And that day of the Lord, what that means is the ages are changing. We're moving out of this present age, and we're moving out from the effects of the fall into the new age, that's a biblical term, by the way, the coming age, the age that God restores everything that was lost by the fall. The day of the Lord is a day of rescue, a day of redemption, and it's also a day of judgment. And this generation, as the Spirit's being poured out, they're watching signs and wonders of the kingdom come, and they're concluding It's here. The greatest event in human history moving from this age to the next age is here. And so there's fear. We tend to soften that fear. And we we, we say awe and we say respect. And I think those are all involved. But my friends, this generation believed that life on planet Earth as they knew it was about to change dramatically. And even for those that trusted God, there was still still this fear because there is something that has been unleashed on the planet that we cannot control. And life as we know it is not going to remain the same. We know it's going to get better, but still, God's shaking the foundations of the planet. And so fear, literally, the Greek says, fear was upon every soul. So with, within the interior, it's like, wow, this is, this is beyond. I don't, I don't know if I can handle this. I'm excited, but at the same time, wow, it's fearful. But out of that begins this, this extravagant generosity. So people that are following Jesus, people that are worshiping daily at the temple, people that are going into their homes and serving meals, people that are caring for thousands of people by pooling their resources together, people that are believing, you know, we don't need that second home at the Sea of Galilee or the Mediterranean coast. We could sell that home. 
Now, we, want, we need to keep our home in Jerusalem because we're, we're serving people out of that home. But we don't need, we don't need, well, they probably didn't have a second home. But they probably did have plots of land that their family had owned for thousands of years around Jerusalem. And they're concluding, you know, we're, not really, we're really not farming that land, so let's sell that plot of land. So let's, let's get rid. This is remarkable. We, we want to start divesting ourselves of our family inheritance because the end has come. And we don't need it. And then they looked in the garage, and they said, you know, we got more stuff in the garage. Well, have you looked in the attic? I mean, we have Christmas decorations from... We don't need that stuff. So we have this property and we have these possessions. We don't need this. We, we, can, we can get back to simplicity because life is now different because God has come and is coming. That's the resources that they sold. And see, it's also tapped into that they remembered what the apostles taught, which was to remember the poor. And so that if we have excess, we get rid of the excess so we can take care of the poor. And that's where this extravagant generosity is coming from. Now, there's going to be something else attached to that not too long. It's going to come. It's coming. But now, there is an ethic of generosity because the end has arrived. So going back to my friend Tom and, and the question he asked, what, what are we doing about it? In light of what we're reading, what are we doing about it? Well, one question is, are we on our knees praying for Jesus to pour out the Holy Spirit on our generation? I believe every generation needs its Pentecost. Every generation needs to be reminded that there is a God in heaven that has committed himself to making things right on this planet and he will interrupt human history to remind us that what he accomplished through Jesus, he hasn't forgotten about and he's on track and welcome Holy Spirit. Our generation has not known an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The last great awakening that America had was in the 1800s. We've had small outbreaks of the kingdom, but nothing to the degree of the first or second awakening, 1700s, 1800s. We have yet to have, in my mind, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but in the 12 years of this new century, we have yet to have an outpouring of any sort. So what can we do about it? We can get down on our knees and we can cry out to the God of heaven, Jesus in particular, Lord Jesus, pour out the Spirit on all flesh in my day. We need the Spirit to be poured out on our generation. Are we praying? for the signs and wonders of the kingdom to break into our present. You know, as the, as the vineyard began, John Wimber talked a lot about signs and wonders. And there were a lot of signs and wonders. You know what the biggest thing that came out of that was? 
a church arguing about there can't be signs and wonders. How ridiculous is that? Oh, come on. Wake up. Wake up. These are signs and wonders of the kingdom that Jesus promised, that Jesus gave his life for. This is part of the good news that has come to the planet. There is a God who sets things right. And he begins to do that in the present age before the final age arrives. Come on! The sick can be healed. That's a sign. Because in eternity, nobody's going to be sick. There won't be a lame person. There won't be a blind person. There won't be a deaf person. There won't be a poor person. There won't be a dead person. See, all of that, healing, no demons gone, provision for the poor, creation no longer out of control under the rule of God. Every miracle of Jesus was a sign of the kingdom come. He's painting a picture. This is what life is going to look like. I'm giving you a preview. And throughout the history of mankind, from that point, Jesus started, he inaugurated the kingdom. Every generation that's followed Jesus has been meant to display what it looks like until it actually happens. See, we need the Spirit to be poured out. Because many of us don't believe that. We need our mind to change. We need to convert. Within Christianity, we need to convert. And change our mind about this kingdom and the promise of this kingdom. And then the last thought, in light of eternity, in light that the kingdom has come, in light that we are on the edge of a change, We need to sell our excess. And we need to contribute the proceeds to the well-being of others. You see the motivation for that? I have have many friends that they start getting nervous when you read this passage. Because it's like, is this economic theory? No, this is not economic theory. This is the kingdom of God. This is how the kingdom works. This is what people are meant to be. This is how God created us. He created us to get rid of excess and to contribute to others. Because that demonstrates who God is. Now, are we going to do something about it? Again, we, we just need a reorientation to what Jesus is, who Jesus is, what Jesus brought, what His kingdom is, and how we live in that today. That's what our world needs. That's what the church needs. And my friends, we're it. We're the people through whom these things happen. Just ordinary people. Sitting in a room, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit lets the lights go on. Going back to my friend Tom, when Jesus' followers behave like this, like, like they did at one time in our history, they sometimes find, to their surprise, 
that they have a new spring in their steps. There is an attractiveness, an energy about a life in which we stop clinging on to everything we can get and start sharing, giving, giving it away, celebrating God's generosity by being generous ourselves. And that attractiveness is one of the things that draws other people in. When you and I make a decision to celebrate God's generosity by being generous ourselves, then we are becoming a community that God says, I can add people to that community every day. Because that community reflects who I am and what I want. They're under my rule. They're not doing their own thing. So the way we're trying to live this out, my prayer, and I'd love for you to join me in praying this, I want the Holy Spirit to pour out power on us, as He did on Pentecost, so that we can tell others about Jesus. And that they too would enjoy community. Community with God, community with others. And so we've started this thing called two chairs. So just what that means is that we all kind of move around the room until we are next to an empty chair. So if you all want to move, you don't have an empty chair next to you, you just scoot over a chair or move to a chair. There you go. You don't have to go far. Keep scooting. Scooting. There you go. Perfect. We can do this. So what we did the first week is we, we kind of put our arm around the chair next to us. And we just prayed a simple prayer. Holy Spirit, who is that person in my life that would benefit from friendship with me? And the reason that, that we pray that prayer is because when people become my friend and I become their friend, then sooner or later it's real natural to introduce them to my friend Jesus. It's just really natural. And then last week, we, we prayed, well, how do I enter that person's world? We, we're going to do what Jesus did. Jesus incarnated. Jesus entered our world. He didn't ask us to enter his world. He entered our world. And so if we're going to introduce people to our friend Jesus, we've got to initiate. We can't just sit around and wait for people to come into our world. We need to go. And so we asked the Holy Spirit, how, how, how can I enter that person's world? And this morning what I'd like us to do is spend a little time praying about how can I begin a conversation? Now, here's, here's something to hear. It needs to be a conversation that is initiated with that person, but it, it mentions nothing spiritual at all. First conversation you have with the person, don't, don't talk about Jesus. Don't talk about the Bible. Talk about who, who won the World Series. Talk about people recovering from the hurricane. 
Talk about one of your hobbies. What, what I've discovered in my most recent conversations is I just begin to listen to some people's questions about life, about relationship, about marriage. I just listened. You know what? They asked me about Jesus before I said anything about Jesus. And you know what else? I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew the Holy Spirit was saying, don't talk about Jesus. What? Wait. Just listen. Just answer questions. And the time came. So what conversation? So let's just take a moment. Ask the Holy Spirit, well, how can I start a conversation? Just about life. How can I be somebody's friend? How can I listen? So if you'll take a moment and pray for that person next to you, then I'll end our time with a prayer in general, okay? Holy Spirit, thank you for helping us. Thank you for showing us the way to make a new friend. Thank you for showing us how, about how to enter the world of someone else. Thank you for this morning encouraging us to have conversation. And my prayer is that before we're done with Acts, that every one of us would have the joy of making a new friend and through that new friendship to introduce our friend Jesus to that friend. And the other thing I ask Holy Spirit is I ask that we would be receptive to your call for us to get down on our knees and to petition Jesus to pour out the Spirit on our generation. I pray that we would do that together as a community, but, that, but Lord, that you would begin to awaken us at night with one prayer, pour out your spirit, Jesus. Pour out the spirit on our generation. Lord, for those of us that are gifted in intercession, I pray that this would be a prayer that you would empower, that we would pray, let the spirit be poured out on our generation. Lord, I pray that signs and wonders of your kingdom would again be visible to our generation, that each one of us would believe that your spirit within us could empower us to perform a sign or a wonder that would show where we're going in the future, that the sick would be healed, that the demonized would be set free, that the poor would be fed. And then, Lord, in light of eternity, I pray that you would speak to us. Speak to us about our excess. Speak to us about getting rid of that excess in light of the coming age. We're right there. We don't need all this stuff. We're not going to take this stuff. It's like the message to the rich young ruler. You're not going to haul all that stuff to the eye of an needle. Lord, thank you that you want to simplify our lives. So speak to us, guide us, direct us to sell our excess 
and to contribute the proceeds to the well-being of others. Whoever that might be, guide us, Lord. Where, where are we to be generous? Lord, I think the bottom line is we want to be this community that we're reading about. We don't want to just read about a community as something in the past. We want it to be present. And we recognize that the forces that shape that community are not us, it's you. So come, Holy Spirit. Shape us into the community that you want us to be. Pour out your Spirit. Let there be signs and wonders. Help us to simplify our lives. For your sake and for your kingdom. In your name, amen.